Good morning, Westmont. It's a great joy and delight to be with you here after so many years. I think the last time I preached from this pulpit was back in 2015, so it's been a while. And uh, I am so blessed. The Lord has built a relationship between the Belgraves and our family that has spanned all of these years. I remember when we chatted extensively about his decision to go to the master's seminary. And uh, at that time, I was studying at uh, Toronto Baptist uh, Seminary. And the Lord has really blessed your ministry, brother. I can see that. I can see that not only in the numbers that are here uh, currently, as opposed to when I was back in 2015, but you can see it in the grace that is emitted from the face of the congregation. So, uh, delighted to see what the Lord has done here uh, with you and with Westmont. And uh, today, I would like for us to just consider a small segment from the book of Colossians, that is Colossians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 24 to 29. Today, we are considering a small portion of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, where Paul is responding to news that he heard about the church in Colossae, that it is a strong church with faith in Jesus Christ and love for the saints. But Paul also is responding to the fact that he has received news of a philosophy that it's making its way around the highways and byways of Colossae, which is a mixture of Christianity, Judaism, and pagan philosophy. And Paul wants to encourage the church to stand firm in their faith, and as he is doing so in our text this morning, he is explaining his stewardship that God has given him. And as Paul explains his stewardship, we will see that it has implications for us today. And often we tend to stray away from the goal that Paul is going to describe to us. And when we do, the result is typically syncretism and lukewarm Christianity. Well, before we read this passage together and then look at it carefully, let us call upon the name of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace this morning. We thank you for this word, the word of the living God, the word that we ought to build our lives upon. We pray, O Lord, that you would draw our hearts to respond to your word. And if that is going to happen, then your word must be preached faithfully. And so, Father, I pray that you would guard my lips, that I may faithfully proclaim the implications of this text to us, to our hearing this morning. So be with me and be with the congregation. May we have hearts not only to hear, but to respond appropriately. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, follow with me as we read Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. The passage reads as follows. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, 
and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God has chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this we toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Well, I want for us to begin by just considering the first portion of verse 24, where he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Notice, Paul rejoices in his suffering. Now these two don't go together. Rejoice and suffering. When was the last time you rejoiced because you were suffering? I don't do that very often. But that's not the point we want to consider. What we want to consider is this. What is the nature of Paul's suffering? And he tells us in the same book, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3, he tells us, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. And here is it on account of which I am in prison. You see, Paul is imprisoned on account of preaching the word of God. You see, Paul lived in a pre-Christian culture. In a pre-Christian culture, Christians lacked the liberty to preach Christian convictions, and therefore Paul was subject to imprisonment because he lived in a pre-Christian culture where persecution is ripe. In Canada, we are living in a post-Christian culture. That's what many theologians refer to it. In a post-Christian culture, Christian convictions are beginning to be curtailed. Thus, it will become more likely that Christians will be imprisoned for various Christian doctrines. We must recognize that the tides are rising. And as the tides are rising, we will experience more censure and the wrath of the state. You see, Paul was living in a pre-Christian culture, so he expected persecution. We are living in a post-Christian culture, so we do not expect persecution because we have a Christian heritage. Brothers and sisters, we must be prepared for persecution that is to come. 
And as we prepare ourselves for persecution that is to come, remember the words of the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Christians must be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. Furthermore, Paul goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why did Paul write that? He wrote that because he was living in a pre-Christian culture where persecution was expected. Because of our Christian heritage, we do not often experience what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. But the foundations of our Christian heritage are eroding, and the walls are caving in. So we have seen that Paul is suffering. The nature of his suffering is that he is imprisoned for preaching the word of God. This takes us now to the next verse, verse 25. Paul says, For which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul is a minister of God. God gave him a special charge, and that special charge is to make the word of God fully known. What does he mean by that? Well, verses 26 to 27, he explains. He says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul is given the responsibility to make the word of God fully known, and he is doing that by unveiling the mystery that was embedded in the Old Testament. This mystery is being revealed to the saints through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. What is this mystery? Well, for the Apostle Paul, the word mystery can refer to the entire gospel, as he does in Romans chapter 16, verse 25, or it could refer to an aspect of the gospel, as he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. However, in the context of Colossians chapter 1, the mystery centers on the inclusion of the Gentiles. We see that in verse 27. Where he says, To them God chose to make, that is to the Gentiles, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What we are seeing here is that God gave a special, God had, God had a special people unto himself. 
And we know, in reading the Old Testament, which group of people was God's special group of people. It is the Jews. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 to 5, we read these words. You yourselves have seen what I did, that is God speaking. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you, the Jews, to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." Now, the fact that the Jews was God's special people is very obvious. Also, it, it, it is also obvious in the Old Testament that God was going to bless the Gentiles through the Jewish nation. We see that in the Abrahamic covenant, for example, we read in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, in you, that is in Abraham, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And even the Jews in Jesus' day knew that God was going to bless the Gentiles through the Jews, although they were very prejudicial. Nevertheless, they knew that. I mean, Jesus refers to their evangelism where Jesus said to the Pharisees, you travel over land and sea to make one proselyte. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 15. So the, the notion that God has a special people and is going to bless the Gentiles through the special people was obvious to Old Testament saints and even to the disciples prior to the resurrection. After the resurrection, all things change. And that is the mystery that is being revealed. You see, what was unknown is the full inclusion of the Gentiles. And Paul is now making that known. The Gentiles are no longer merely an appendage to the people of God. But now, the full inclusion of the Gentiles is being revealed through the Apostle Paul. Especially in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, Paul writes... For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery has been made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you will perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles by the, uh, the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Listen to this, verse six. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So now we have answered the question. The question, what is the mystery? The response, the mystery, 
is the full inclusion of the Gentiles. And it is the stewardship of the Apostle Paul to make that known. Then in verses 27 to 28, we read, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Notice here, Paul is presenting the goal the goal of his stewardship. And it is clearly stated for us that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, the goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. In order for this goal to be achieved, three essential things must happen. Unless these three things happen, the goal of presenting the believers mature in Christ cannot happen. C'est impossible. It's impossible to happen unless these three essential things happen. And the three are go, believe, teach. Go, believe, teach. Go, by this we're referring to evangelism and missions. Believe, we're talking about faith in Jesus Christ, and teach, converts must be taught the doctrines of the faith. Well, let's consider go. The first one, go, that has to do with evangelism and missions. We ought to take the gospel to our friends, to our family, to our acquaintances, to our neighbors. And when we do so locally, we call that evangelism. And this is often neglected for many reasons, but one of the reasons why evangelism is neglected is people do not know how. They are uncomfortable with evangelizing. That is one of the reasons why about a year ago I decided to take one of my children every Sunday and we just go out doing evangelism. They don't have to evangelize, they just watch me do it. And hopefully in time they will learn. We need to take this area of learning how to evangelize seriously. So if you do not know how, then just ask someone in the church, how do you do it? They'll explain to you. Or maybe a mature believer go out with a young believer and evangelize. When I look at the second The second essential thing that must happen in order to achieve the goal of presenting believers mature in Christ is, actually not the second, but is the second aspect of the first of goal, is missions. When we share the gospel locally, we call it evangelism. When we take the gospel to foreign lands, different cultures, we call that missions. Missions is important. Missions is necessary, because how will they hear if no one is sent? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10? Therefore, we must go. We must go to other lands and bring the gospel to them. Now, I want to address something. 
It's uncomfortable, but still needs to be addressed. And that is, there are many people on the mission field across the globe, and their ministry is merely humanitarian need. Now, they're doing good work, beneficial work. But I don't think it should be called missions. Why is the terminology important? You see, when a church has limited cash to support work overseas, it has two options. Option one, humanitarian work without gospel proclamation. Option two is gospel proclamation or Bible teaching. Now, let's consider these two options. There are a lot of good organizations out there doing lots of good things, caring for the plights of people in third world countries. Here's what these organizations will not do and cannot do. Preach the gospel. Therefore, what should the church prioritize? Humanitarian work? A gospel proclamation and Bible teaching? I think it's the latter. Remember, we are considering Paul's stewardship, which is that he has been given the role to reveal the mystery, which is the inclusion of the Gentiles with a particular goal, and that is the maturity of the Gentiles. And as we are considering the inclusion of the Gentiles, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6 we read, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now we need to stop, focus on the significance of the inclusion of the Gentiles. Why? Because in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 to 6, we read, You, that is the Jews, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And notice this, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God had a special designation for his chosen people, and that is, they are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What is a priest? A priest is a mediator. He's a go-between between God and the people. And that's why the people took their sacrifice to the priest. So that the priest acts on their behalf. The priest mediates. But how is it the whole nation can be a priest? Because the whole nation mediates between God and the other nations. So the whole nation of Israel is a priest unto God. And here's why the inclusion of the Gentiles is so crucial. Because it brings the privileges of God's chosen people to the Gentiles. And Peter picks up on this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Peter says, 
to Christians, both Jews and Gentiles. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter gives clarity to the role of the priest. The priest in the new covenant. And here is the clarity that Peter gave. What is it that the priest ought to do? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now we see why evangelism and missions is so important. We were saved for that purpose. You see, these things are not optional. We entered into that great privilege of being included in God's special people for the purpose of proclaiming His excellencies. Therefore, we need to be engaged in evangelism and missions. Now, that takes us to the second one. In order for Paul to achieve his objective, and that is the maturity of believers, first thing must happen, go. Evangelism and missions. The second thing, believe. People must actually believe the gospel in order to be mature believers. And therefore, people who understand that they are sinners under the wrath of God destined to eternity to suffer the consequences of their sin, must turn from their sin, place all their hope in the finished work of Christ, in that he lived a perfect life, and he died to pay for sins on the cross, and that is our only means of entrance into heaven. Once we believe that, we can now move to the third stage, which is teach. In the first stage, the focus is to teach for the purpose of maturity. Verses 26 to 28, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's goal is the maturity of believers. And verse 28 is very clear. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And to achieve this goal, Paul toils and struggles, as he says to us in verse 29. You see, this is not a quick process. A few years ago, I was speaking with a Christian bishop that I met, a Zambian Christian bishop, and he said, he's a church planter. I said, wow, how many churches you've planted? 300. That number is huge. How is it you planted 300 churches? He says to me, you know, In the past, I would go into the villages and then I would train some men there for six months and then 
send them out to plant churches. But now I've figured out a way to do it in only three weeks. I said, three weeks? Wouldn't that result in syncretism? He says, of course, but it's better they have a church than nothing. I was sharing this story just about two months ago with my students in my biblical theology class. And one student says, sir, in Lusaka, they are doing it in two weeks. (laughs) You see, they've missed the concept here. Paul, he struggles and he toils. This is hard, painstaking labor. It's not the kind of thing that you do in three weeks, much less for two. Our context now, coming back home. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What Paul is saying to Timothy is this. There is a need for ongoing theological education of men who will go into the ministry. Not only this, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 14, Paul writes, And he gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that you may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul is addressing the maturity of believers there in Ephesians, and he's speaking specifically about training believers to withstand false doctrine so that they may not be carried to and fro by every wind of doctrine. How do we do that? How do we equip believers in the church so that they can know when doctrine is false and not be carried away by it? I want to just share three things that are important for doing so. The first one is that the local church must recognize gifted men and train them so that they can carry on this legacy of faithful preaching. The second one is that the global church must be supported. We are living in a materially wealthy land here in Canada. I teach men in Zambia, not at the African University, but in some of the other ministries that I'm engaged in. All these men have for sermon preparation are their Bibles. I just got back recently and I've shipped a bunch of books. When I go back, I'm going to do some uh, expository teaching with these men. They need help. Thirdly, on a personal level, 
If the goal is that we mature in Christ and not be carried to and fro by every wind of doctrine, we must each, lay people, must personally avail themselves of the means of grace to grow in the knowledge of Christian doctrine. We're not going to grow in the knowledge of Christian doctrine if we are not present when the church is offering teaching for us to grow. So we must avail ourselves of it. We have seen that Paul suffered imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. And we must be willing to suffer also for the sake of the gospel. We have seen that Paul's goal is to present in everyone mature in Christ. And in order for that to happen, three things must occur. Goal, which is evangelism and mission. Second, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we must give ourselves to the ministry of teaching. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray, O oh God, that you may let your word dwell in our hearts richly and produce good fruit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.